Hello, and welcome to Better Betting. Here are your hosts, the King of Timonium, Gary Quill, and the ruler of the replays, Eric Rubin. Hey, and welcome to Better Betting. My name is Eric Rubin, and this is where I usually introduce my co-host, the King of Timonium, Gary Quill. However, GQ is on assignment this week as we prepare for the closing of Gulfstream West next week, the old Calder racetrack. I've actually been to Calder or Gulfstream West more than I've been to regular Gulfstream, just the way it's worked out when I've been in Florida. Um, So he could not make it this week on the show, but we have a great guest. We're going to be talking about Canadian racing today. Woodbine has a big card on Saturday as they kind of wrap up their meet. So we have Doug McPherson from Woodbine, who's going to be on the show, and he's a really, really sharp handicapper in mind. And uh, as you hear the interview with him, maybe this is why I feel it. We agree on a lot of stuff. He sees the race as very similar to me. So it was nice because usually I have GQ on who I'm arguing with all the time. So it's nice to have someone who, uh, who see eye to eye with a little bit. But uh, Doug does so many things over at, um, at Woodbine. He's going to talk to us about it in a little bit. Uh, and he'll handicap some races with us as well. But before we get into uh, the Woodbine card and, and bringing Doug McPherson, I just wanted to kind of do a quick recap of uh, last week's episode. It was actually our highest rated episode with Inside the Pylons. Uh, I, I think there's a real hunger out there for betting information. I was a little skeptical because earlier this year um, with GQ, I did uh, an episode where we really focused on betting structure and strategies. And I know we don't carry the weight or, or the name recognition that ITP has, and, and he's so good at it that I, I, you know, we're, we're nothing compared to him. But um, it didn't really get good ratings compared to our other shows. So I was a little leery, but with ITP, uh, really a lot of people listening. So it kind of reinvigorated me feeling that people really want to hear about uh, handy, not just handicapping, but uh, ticket structure and wagering strategies and, and things like that. And, you know, just a couple of things that I took out of the interview with, with ITP and just things I've spoken to him in the past about that. Uh, and he's talked a lot about one of the big things, and it's going to come up with the interview with uh, Doug McPherson later uh, on the program is win percentage. People are kind of obsessed with win percentage. And I get why you're with friends, you want to impress them. I go to the track usually about once a year with a bunch of people from work and they know I'm into the horses and they're not really into it. They just want to go for have have a good time, have a couple of drinks and bet a few races. And they'll ask me for my opinions thinking I know what I'm doing. And I'll easily go 0 for 9 on the card and, and not have any winners. Uh, I could easily pick more chalky horses and, and get a couple races, but I'm not going to make a profit that way. So I understand like the urge to want to win races and win percent for people who are there. Also, for your own psyche, it's tough losing. I went like January, February, I felt like I couldn't lose a race. I was hitting pick fives left and right. March, April, May, I was ice cold. I, I would barely hit anything. And it's tough on the psyche um, when you're not winning for a while and you're not cashing tickets. Uh, and then eventually things clicked again and I got back into winning weight. So it worked out. I don't know if it was a prolonged slump, what would have happened to uh, me mentally, but I'm used to that now. Uh, as long as I know in the long run, I'm going to make money. I'm, I'm fine with losing money for a few months and uh, fairly confident that it'll work out in the long run the way I'm betting. Uh, so not being concerned with win percentage, but ROI. Would you rather win 10 bets out of 30 bets, but actually lose a little money? Or would you rather win one out of 30 and make a profit? Maybe some people actually would rather win more often and make less money. But to me, I'll take one out of 30 wins and, and make a profit. And ideally, you'd win a lot and make a profit, but sometimes it's hard. So in races, like we were talking about pick five structure, where you have three chalks that you say, think, all right, these three are probably going to win. Um, one of those three, a two to one, a 
an eight to five and a three to one, the three favorites, using all three in a pick five so you can survive the race, that's not a great strategy long term. Maybe if you're, uh, ITP uses the word heroic, but maybe if you have some real long shots and prices in the other legs, and listen, I'm going to have some prices. I just want to survive this race. I totally understand it. I do it sometimes as well. But in general, if you cut those three favorites down to one, pick the one either that's the best value or you think is the best chance of winning, however you do it, you only have to win one out of three times to make it count or, or to offset it. And if you can win one out of two times or anything above 33% when you're picking one out of those three, you're actually improving your uh, ROI most likely. So um, don't get caught up with win percent. Another thing you talked about is like pounding your opinion and all good betters really talk about this. And, and this is something I definitely do. But pound your opinion. Now, if your opinions stink, there's not much you can do. It's not going to work. But if you're betting every race similarly, uh, as far as type of bet and also amount of money, you're not going to win money long-term. I, I don't know anyone who's able to do that. So pound your opinion. If you don't like a race, sit out. Or if you need action, bet a couple bucks. If you love the race or like the race, that's when you go after it. And pounding the opinion doesn't mean bet, win, play, show. You know me from this show. And ITP is the same. Tommy Masses laughed when uh, we mentioned place and show betting. Just if you like a horse and you want to bet him to win, great. If you think it's good value, go for it. Instead of place and show, think about other wagers. Think about either tries, even just exactus, supers, and, and trying to um, get that horse that you like, especially if it's a price in there so you can maximize uh, the, the payout with that horse. And like ITP said, if you have a horse that you like at a price and you're thinking of betting place, if you think the horse is good enough to come in second, are you that smart of a handicapper that, oh, this horse is never going to come in second, but has no chance at winning? No, just take a shot to win or bet him on top in, in bets. Don't be afraid. And finally, um, you know, just in general, pick five structure. Don't be afraid to lose the bet. It's about ROI, like I said before. Don't just include every horse you think can win. So when you're going through your pick five and you write down your horses, most people do similar to what I do. I think ITP mentioned it. You kind of just writing down who you think has a shot to win the race. And you might have six in one race, eight in another. And maybe one race, you only have two or three. And then from there, you have to narrow it down. And you're not necessarily narrowing down by the horse you think have the best chance at winning because the odds might not be there. You're narrowing down mathematically and strategically. So if there is a race with three favorites that you're using, and those are the only three, if you can get rid of two of those and just pick one, you're knocking two-thirds off your bet. You probably don't even have to eliminate another leg. And you can keep every other horse you want in there for an affordable price. So that's kind of what we were talking about last week. Uh, maybe instead of knocking off a horse from that you have six horses in a race, cut it down to five. And it doesn't save you much at that point, especially if it's a price horse, which there's a good chance you're going to knock out. I can see if it's a favorite and you're going deep, you want to knock out the favorite. But uh, just some things that we talked about last week. If you didn't get to listen to last week's episode, I really highly uh, suggest you go back. I know ITP was on with Jason Beam about a year and a half, maybe even two years ago now. And I mentioned this last week, but I go back every, I don't know, five or six months and listen to that almost like a refresher course on how to bet in case I get away from my betting strategies. And it still helps, even though I know what he's saying, it just to, to come in your mind again and, and be um, at, at the forefront of your, your brain. It really makes you sharper when you're betting races. All right. So that's kind of my little recap there. And uh, I want to get to Doug McPherson now. Doug McPherson wears a lot of hats at Woodbine. Mr. Woodbine, I, I can probably call him. He does several jobs, which I'll talk about. He's an excellent handicapper. He puts out the handicapper's journal there with his picks. And I want to welcome him to the show now. So earlier today, I was able to speak to Doug. And here's our chat. Okay, so I'm here with Doug McPherson of Woodbine Racetrack. 
Doug, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate the, the invite. Yeah, really excited to have you on. Um, I know you're very knowledgeable about Woodbine. I heard you on a podcast earlier, and I heard you say something about how you pretty much know every horse without even having to look at the program or, or look at replays for the most part. You kind of know how they race and where they fit and all that. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I think if you you could name me almost any horse on the grounds here, and I have a ballpark idea of what kind of race they're looking for, just because I work in the race office, so I'm talking to everybody, and I watch all the races, handicap all the races, so my mind is pretty ingrained on what's going on at Woodburn. Nice. Now, GQ is my partner, as I talked to you before we got on the air. He's usually the interview guy, so I'm trying to fill his big shoes here. Hopefully, I make him proud. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a few questions here. Uh, first of all, how did you get into racing in the first place? Uh, well, my dad's a trainer here at Woodbine, uh, Sandy McPherson. Um, so, you know, as a teenager, I started working for him, trying to make money. And then I got, you know, kind of fell in love with the horses. And then I, you know, originally I wanted to train, but then my life kind of went in a different uh, direction. And now I do what I do here now. And then I, you know, I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. And I see you have a lot of jobs at Woodbine. I know you put out the Handicappers Journal. <laughs> What, what, what do you do? You can talk about that and anything else you do, Woodbine. Yeah, so the Handicappers Journal I started doing last year after Jim Bannon retired, and obviously those are big shoes to fill here. Um, but it's been going very well. I really enjoy it. Um, and I also work in our thoroughbred race office as an entry clerk. Um, so I'm there, you know, four mornings a week taking entries and other, you know, office things. And then I'm also one of our Equibase chart callers here. So on race days, I'm up in the press box doing charts, um, Trackus and GMAX, GPS stuff, um, and all, all that other, you know, chart caller kind of stuff. So I am, I practically live here for better or for worse. So if I find some flaws in the, uh, in the uh, charts, that's you I can blame, or is that someone else? Uh, <laughs> the good parts of the charts are all me. The flaws, I'm going to redirect to my partner. All right. Yeah, actually, it's very good. Usually, it's funny when we do these podcasts, I'm big on replays. Like, I'm watching replays like crazy. I'm watching two replays at least for each horse pretty much, um, yeah. which is probably overkill, but I, I just like to be prepared. And I find so many, so many issues all the time. But you, you did a very good job or your partner did a very good job. Uh, I found really nothing. So that was a, that was a good thing. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you get, I know you know Woodbine so well. Do you play other tracks or are you strictly a Woodbine guy? Um, I used to play a lot more, but honestly, now I don't play much of anything at all. Um, in the winter, when I go to Florida, I like, like I follow Gulfstream the same way I follow Woodbine during that off season. So I'll, I'll play there a little bit, but honestly, I'm not a huge player. I'm too busy trying to keep my mind on other things. You know, it's, it's not good to mix the working and gambling. You know what I mean? Yeah, I always wonder, the guys who do like the TV for the tracks and all, they always put up tickets and all. I always wonder if they actually bet those tickets and all, but uh, I'm not sure. The um, Betting Woodbine, a, a lot of the listeners, we don't cover Woodbine too often. We covered um, Queen's Plate Day about, was it, two months ago now, and Tommy Masses came on with us and gave yeah. us some great advice. Uh, but a lot of our listeners are probably not that familiar with Woodbine. So if you had any advice for them for betting the track or is there any advice? Is it something different that they should look for than other tracks? Well, the obvious difference here is the synthetic, which is kind of a, a dying surface in America. And, um, you know, synthetic, our, our synthetic, the Tapita, it is a lot more dirt like than the old poly track was. 
you know, like it, you, on the old poly track, it was almost impossible to go wire to wire in a route race. Now it's not like that. It's a much more fair surface. Um, but really it's just developing a familiarity with how synthetic horses and turf horses want to run. Cause it is, it is not the same with dirt racing. That's, that's for sure. So when you're looking at the past performances of the horses and you see a horse coming off the turf, um, and then coming onto the, uh, tapita at, um, at Woodbine, do you look at that race similarly? Do you kind of ignore it a little bit? How do you handle that when you're handicapping? There's definitely a lot of leeway between turf and synthetic. Like there's not too many horses that will run on one, but won't run a step on the other. You know, there's lots of horses that are better on one than the other, but there's not, you know how there's dirt, dirt horses that can run on dirt, but won't run a step on turf. There's not as many of those, you know, when you're crossing from synthetic to tapita. Um, so generally I find when we come off the turf, it doesn't make it doesn't always make a huge difference on the race, but you still need to look at every at the individual horses and see you know whether it's benefiting them or not. Um, the big thing here is you know we have our EP Taylor turf, which is you know most of like a mile, a mile sixteenth is one turn and two turn race. That's a very different race, but a lot of that that's more post position than the than the surface. For, you know when you're factoring the differences, right? And one last question about uh, Woodbine there. When we go to tracks that we haven't been to a lot, I like to ask, we usually have like a local expert like yourself. And I always like to ask, are there jockey, everyone can see the jockey standings, the trainer standings. Are there any jockeys that kind of under the radar guys, maybe not the top two or three guys in the standings. Again, we, we all see who they are, Justin Stein and I think Rafael Hernandez, if I missed any, yeah. anyone else. But any kind of guys that maybe people see in the PPs and, you know, they win 10, 12%, whatever it is, but, you know, you're like, hey, if they had better mounts, they, they would do just as well. Yeah, well, I've been preaching long before the Queen's Plate this year that Daisuke Fukumoto is one of the better riders in our colony. And people used to look at me like I had two heads, especially because, you know, Kazushi Kimura got so hot last year. So they'd say, well, he's not as good as that kid. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Kazushi because he's a very talented rider too. But uh, Dice K winning the first two legs of the Triple Crown has kind of redeemed my, you know, whack job opinion. I think he's a very, uh, very talented, very patient uh, young rider. Good hands on him. Um, as far as other riders that fly under the radar here, uh, I think um, Sahin Savachi has ridden some good races. Steve Bayon, I'm a big fan of. He's a very good rail rider, and I'm a huge save as much ground as possible kind of guy. Um, so yeah, probably Fukumoto and Bayon are my two kind of under the radar guys that you want to watch out for here. Slade Callahan too, but he's actually finished riding for the meet because he's busy shipping horses to Florida. Uh, <laughs> uh, and same question about trainers. Any kind of under the radar trainers people can keep an eye out for? Andy McPherson, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Now, before, I, before you answer the rest of that, then, how many horses does your dad have now? Does he have a big he's stable? Got, or? He's got nine in train, eight or nine right now. I can't remember. I want to say nine. Okay. Um, but 10 for 42 or something like that this week. So he's having a good season. <laughs> Great. Um, but yeah, if I were to go through the list, I could find lots of underrated trainers. I'm sure I just don't have the standings in front of me right now. All right. No problem. I won't, uh, I won't make you name names there. Right. <laughs> but thanks. Um, all right. So we're going to go over the Saturday, uh, late pick five at Woodbine. Uh, it involves two great, two races, 
uh, one grade three race, I think a maiden claiming race, and maybe an allowance race. So uh, if you're ready, we'll, uh, we'll dig into that right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the first leg here, it's a first level allowance for fillies and mares going five eights. And uh, I'm not a big fan of five eights. So that's just me personally. I like longer races, you know, the longer, the better. Um, but Marty Drexler has a really interesting filly here called Betwixting, who's drawn the rail. And she ran last week. She finished fifth in a really tough race, won by Golden Amy, who's a Josie Carroll horse that looks like she could be an absolute freak. Um, and this one ran an okay fifth. She was only beaten about four lengths for place. And this is a horse that likes these shorter sprints. Um, and I'm a big fan of horses that'll wheel back in a week. I think when they run her back in a week with a good trainer, it means they're good to go. Um, so I think this is an interesting horse. It's kind of a tough race after you get past her. I think like the favorite's a Natfield horse called Tyra, who's been running a mile in the 16th. So it's tough to figure how she'll handle the cutback to five eights. Um, have you seen anything interesting here? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm against Tyra, um, for reasons you kind of alluded to. Mm -hmm. Um, just now she ran again or, uh, yeah, she ran against. A horse came back to win a grade three next out. I guess that's impressive, but she wasn't really in the race. I mean, she was way back and cutting back, no speed. So I don't know if she'll go off three to one, but I'm okay playing against her despite the high speed figure. I actually like the one also, Betwixting. My only concern is she seems to get off to a slow start just about every race. Um, yeah. And being on the rail, that, that can hurt as well. Uh, but she was pretty much my top pick. The other horse I like kind of equally is a 12 to one shot, uh, the seven big mistake. And I'm curious to get your opinion, actually, because – this is where that turf to synthetic angle comes in. I really like her turf races. She's been running. She was off for two years, so something was wrong. But since she came back, I, I thought her race two back uh, for 25K was pretty impressive. I thought Speed did well in that race, and she closed really nicely. And the last race, she was uh, pretty wide. And again, Speed kind of held in the race, so she didn't really have a great chance to close in, I think. Um, do you see her being able to carry that over to uh, synthetic? Well, yeah, like before she was uh, put on the shelf, she won three races on the synthetic. So I'm, I'm, I like the, the uh, switch back. And like, this is one of these things, a lot of people think claiming due allowance, this is a class jump. No, it's not. Wide open 40, Miss Savvy, Rosebud's Hope, Boogie With Me. Those horses have all won first level allowances and second level allowances. This is a class drop from open 40 to one other than. So I like this horse on the surface change. Uh, she's right. You know, I like one week better than two weeks. That's kind of a crazy theory that I have. Yeah. Um, but she, you know, she can run well. Another horse I like here at 10 to one is the four gelato Amori. She kind of gotten a little bit of traffic on the turn on the inner turf last time and still ran. Okay. Like that's a better race than six by six lengths looks on paper. And, um, two starts ago, she got beat. She was a beaten a length and a quarter by Spanish ballerina. Who's a really rapid, real nice speed horse. So that, that's a positive reference, and she's had a very solid meet, this Gelato Amori. I actually like her, too. We're on the same page here a lot, which I don't know. I hope that's good. For me, it's good. I don't know about you. Um, I liked her synthetic race, couple back, too. I thought she had a pretty wide trip um, and, and made a nice little move. Others were pulling away late. I don't love that, but I thought she ran pretty well. The only other horse I wanted to mention, which I'm also going to use, is a nine, take it easy. Um, this, I believe, in – one reason I'm so happy to have you on, because once I, I heard about you, I looked up uh, other podcasts and, and listened to you a little bit, and I heard you talking about what you just mentioned, that you really can see the subtle, and that might not be so subtle, but the subtle class drop, class rise, where others might not see it the same way, because you know the field so well, and who is in each race. This seems like it definitely is a class test. I could be wrong, so correct me if I am. 
Uh, but I thought she ran a, a really nice race. She dueled the seven to two shot last time, who faded to seventh. I love when horses duel one of the favorites and that other horse fades badly. That just means that she did really well, I think, uh, to put that horse away. And two long shots, 13 to one and 17 to one, came from the clouds to finish second and third in that race. So I thought she was way the best in that race. Now, whether it's as good, you know, good enough for this race, we'll see. But uh, I, I definitely like take it easy. Any thoughts there? Uh yeah, I definitely think she fits with this group. Like last time, make no mistake, the one that you said came from the clouds, she's gone on to have a really nice meet. Uh, she won a starter handicap going a mile on the inner turf after this, I think. And um, she's been a really solid horse for Zelko Kretschmar. And two starts ago, this horse, yes, please, that she beat. That's a horse my dad actually just claimed. That horse is like 11 for 23 in her career, mostly at smaller tracks like uh, Hastings and Turf Paradise. But she's a really, really nice mare, really knows how to win. So beating her is a positive reference, I think. And, uh, you know, the layoff is a concern, but the other way to look at it is she's been freshened up for five months where all the others have been beating up on each other all meet. So it just depends on if she's good to go off the bench because she fits with these horses, I think. All right, great. And just to recap, I'm on the one seven, but I'm also using the nine and the four here. So I'm going to be four deep most likely. Uh, I'm against the five. And I'm against the six here as well. We didn't talk about Ishi Yaya, but I'm against that horse as well. Um, any any final thoughts or you want to wrap up who you like here? Yeah, so I totally agree. I'm against Kyra. Um, you know, this cutback is questionable, and I don't know there's enough speed to set it up for a horse closing from a million lengths out of it. <laughs> and I really don't like the way Ishi Yaya was wrapped up on in the stretch last time. So I'm, I'm against those two favorites. Uh, otherwise, we're on the same horses here. So uh, I, th I think we see this race in a very similar light. All right. I just hope the betters don't as well because I want some somewhat decent odds. Uh, let's move on to the grade three Ontario Derby. This is a race that I had trouble separating the favorites here. And I hate using chalk, but um, I, I just have to decide what to do. So I'm curious to see what you think about it. Uh, yeah, I have a very strong opinion here. Okay. I was I was handicapping this race last night in the living room talking to my dad and I said dad the party's over for Josie here because nobody's beaten this Mike Maker horse uh I, I love field pass here he had a just he did not get a great ride in the twilight derby it wasn't helped by the fact they had the nine hole but he's three wide every single jump in the clear in a mile and an eighth turf race and it's so hard to win like that you know so like <laughs> The fact that he ran that good with that kind of trip is a really positive thing. And we know he can synthetic because he, he won the Jeff Ruby a turf way back in the spring. So I think with the one hole, nice ground saving trip, you know, the others are going to have their work cut out for him. I don't think he's going to be easy to beat. Yeah, uh, we'll see. Uh, I, when we did the podcast on uh, Queen's Plate Day, I had an awful day, except I picked three horses in the Queen's Plate. They came in one, two, three. Uh, and I picked Mighty Heart on top, so I was very excited. Um, I, I don't know here. Um, last race, Mighty Heart was in the, what is it called, the Breeders' Cup? Is that what they call it, the Breeders' Stakes? Breeders', uh, Breeders Stakes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like it was kind of an insane dual pace going long on the turf. So I, once I saw that, Mighty Heart wasn't winning anyway. And I don't know if he's really a turf horse personally. He seems to do a lot better on the synthetic, uh, at least from my vantage point. And... Belichick seems to be a more up-and-coming horse. I, I loved him in the Queen's Plate, uh, the way he ran. He got off to a slow start. I, I didn't think Mighty Hart had it very tough up front, and, and Belichick made a huge close. Last time he got a perfect setup, 
So I didn't even love, I mean, I know he won easy, but I thought he just had the perfect setup last time, Belichick. But that was on the turf also. His last synthetic race at Queen's Plate was very impressive to me. So I'm, I'm probably leaning Belichick over Mighty Heart, but I'm not sure. And I think Belichick is still improving with Mighty Heart. Could still be improving his three-year-old, but maybe had his best races already, at least for the short term. And field pass for the reasons you said. I, I really can't decide. It's, we had uh, ITP on, I was saying, uh, last week on our podcast. And one of the things we were talking about was ticket construction. And he was saying that if you have three chalks in a race, you know, he's all for just cutting out two of them, singling one of them, and letting it roll. You're not going to win as much, but you're not going to lose as much. And value-wise, you're, you're long-term, you're going to do much, much better. Uh, yeah, exactly. You can pick the one chalk you like, play the same ticket three times, spend the same money, and if you do hit, you're doing way better because you're gaining no value by adding all three of those horses, right? Uh, I really can't get behind Mighty Heart in this race because, A, he's, there's going to be that fan favorite money, you know, and I, you know, you got to bet against that. They're going to bet Hernandez taking over because everyone's going to say, what a stupid ride Fukumoto gave last time. And it wasn't a stupid ride. The horse grabbed the bit the second the gate opened. What was he supposed to do? Get in a wrestling match with him? No matter what, that horse is seventh by 20 lengths. So, you know, it's just stupid. Um, but, like, I can't go with Mighty Heart. On plate day, it was a huge inside speed track. He got to the front and got to the inside. And on Prince of Wales day, he sat inside behind, like, four horses that were stacked up dueling. How do you lose that race? So, like, I, I just can't get behind him at a short price. Belichick is the obvious other horse to me, you know, because, like you said, he's young, he's lightly raced, he's up and coming, and that, you know, that maiden win in the breeders, that can really wake a horse up, and this horse probably didn't need too much waking up anyways. But, you know, to me, field pass has just been beating better horses. I mean, does beating Meyer and English Conqueror in the breeders' stakes going a mile and a half mean anything? Is it that relevant? Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I got to go against Mighty Heart. I'm not in love with Belichick. And I see so many good things about Field Pass that that's a strong opinion for me. I like that horse. All right, great. Yeah, I was, I was leaning toward Belichick with Field Pass as a three. And I was also leaning on fading Mighty Heart. So we definitely agree on that. Uh, I'm going to have to think it over still. Again, I'm a little leaning Belichick, but you feel pretty strongly about Field Pass. That's, that's great. Uh, any of the long shots here or other horses have any interest for you? I'm really, intrigued. I'm really intrigued by this Brendan Walsh horse, Dune of Pilat. Uh, he did not get a great trip at all when running against older horses at Keeneland last time. Like you watch that replay. He looks like he could win the race halfway down the stretch. And then this other horse, I can't remember who it was, is leaning out on him, leaning out on him. And then Talamo basically just wraps up in the last, you know, 16th or so. It's, it's a good race if you watch it. Uh, you know, blinkers on, whatever. We'll see if that helps. He's run on synthetic before, so that's a good thing. And I like Manemba Island, the three horse. Horse has never lost in a two-turn synthetic race, yeah. you know. And when horses learn how to win, they get used to winning, and they tend to keep running good. So I think those are two interesting long shots for underneath. All right, great. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't talk anyone off a long shot. I don't like the three at all, but I, I actually, the seven is the only other horse out of the top three that I didn't cross out in my little... Uh, notes here so maybe if i was playing I, i'm not going to play this race vertically but if i was i might try and work the seven the number and um for for listeners maybe the three as well then uh you're suggesting throwing in uh moving on to race nine the kennedy road grade two and now we're up to the canadian heartthrob pink lloyd uh we we're talking off the air for a few minutes about it 
And you talked about how you've tried to uh, beat him a few times unsuccessfully, I guess. I definitely applaud yeah, the effort. I, I'm a contrarian by nature and, you know, I've got to find a way to beat this horse and I'm going to try and do it again. And then he's going to win and Bob Tiller's going to have his interview and he's going to talk about how all of us experts are stupid and he's going to be right. I won't be able to argue with him, but I'm a creature of habit and I'm going to try and beat him. And I really, really like silent poet uh, for Nick Gonzalez. You know, he's, he's four for five this year. He's won two grade twos. I know his synthetic form doesn't look as good, but he hasn't run on it since 2018. And he's a way better horse now than he was in 2018. So I'm hoping that'll translate. I'm hoping that Stein can just get him to the front and run them off, off their feet. But, you know, you don't need to talk too much about Pink Lloyd. He is what he is. He's 26 for 31, you know. Uh, I'm curious. Want? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm no, curious. I'm okay. I'm curious uh, an opinion on a handicap angle that we've talked about a lot on, on this show. Maybe it's because I'm from New York and I follow New York racing closest. It seems that the paces never play out. Um, it just never happens. No one goes in New York. It's not the same in other tracks, but it is somewhat the same uh, around the country, it seems. So when I handicap, unless it's like glaring, I usually don't care. Oh, there's a lot of speed. There's not a lot of speed because I just never know how a horse is going to run. A horse in New York looks like he's clearly the lone speed and he ends up third with no trouble. Just the jockey pulls him back. So when we had Tommy on, I was asking the same question. He's like, oh, that's everything to me. I just try and figure out and plot the pace and all that. I was like, oh, that's totally different than I do. Um, is that something that factors into your handicapping a lot? And then with Silent Poet, is that something that drew you to him? Um, well, I definitely think our riders are less keen on taking a hold than the New York riders. You know, not everybody, but, you know, you're, you're right about New York racing being seemingly impossible to figure out pace. And that's part of the reason why I barely watch it. Um, but yeah, no, you can never really predict because you might have an idea but the trainer of the horse has a completely different idea and tells the rider to do something different. And then your idea is completely irrelevant. Right. So it, to an extent, it's a guessing game, but the problem with Pink Lloyd though, is that I think that silent poet's gonna, uh, you know, go to the front, kind of run him off his feet, but people have tried that before and it doesn't work because he can sit close to them when they go fast. You know, he's, he's such a tough nut to crack because he's just so used to winning. Um, but yeah, like really the way I see this race is Silent Poet goes, and if he's good enough, he holds on. If he's not, Pink Lloyd wins. Uh, and that's, that's really all I see. I mean, people are going to talk about Ride a Comet, I guess. And he was super impressive when he won that allowance race uh, last month. But, you know, this, this, is tougher, this is tougher racing, and that horse looks like he's more of a, you know, router. But I don't know. I don't know. I got, I got to try and beat him, and I've already talked about how I'm yeah, it's scary because my partner GQ and, and our listeners know we're like the odd couple people call us because we look at races so different and it's crazy, but I look at it almost the same as you, which is, which is, I said, scary for you, I think, but hopefully it's not too bad. Uh, I also ride the Comet or ride a Comet. I thought I had a great setup last time. The race set up for closers. I guess he could win. Uh, it was awful long layoff, so it could step forward and Cassie obviously is dangerous, but uh, I'm going to try and beat that one, especially at five to two. I'm, I'm similar to you. I'm leaning towards trying to beat um, Pink Lloyd. I know Pink Lloyd obviously can win as you do as well. Uh, but I'm hoping for a uh, silent poet here, perhaps. 
I wish this race was the first or second leg so I can kind of get an idea for the price because if they're similar price, I would probably lean to a Pink Lloyd. But if I will get a better price on Silent Poet, then I would take the shot with him. The only other horse I want to mention who I actually am going to use in the pick five, uh, and I'll probably bet in this race, uh, unless you tell me I'm stupid to do so, is the five, Dixie's Gamble. Um, this horse was coming off not a very good race. Got a 77 buyer. It was off a long layoff, and maybe you can help me. Uh, I, I seem to remember uh, Tommy Mass is saying that Josie Carroll is someone who's a little, I could be wrong, but I think she's a little patient where maybe the horse wasn't cranked up the first time at layoff. If you look last year when the horse came off a layoff, came back to an 81 buyer, ran a 97 the next race, second off the layoff. So this horse can improve. And his last race of last year, which was in the Kennedy Road against uh, Pink Floyd, and Pink Floyd won that race, uh, the horse had a slow start and I didn't think ran that badly. Um, I don't, I don't see the trouble that it says in the chart. Here, here you go with the, the chart comment. You're probably right. might have been boxed in. I, I didn't notice that in my notes. But I, I thought it ran a pretty good race. Not as good as Pink Lloyd, but was close. And for 15 or 20 times the price, uh, I, I think it's worth a, a throw. And so I'm leaning towards just using 4.5 in the pick five just for value. If you want to survive or listeners, I would suggest 4.5.7. But I don't think it's a great idea to have two you know, seven to five shots in, in your pick five. Uh, any yeah. thoughts on, on Dixie's Gamble or just anyone else before we move on? Yeah, I'm definitely intrigued. Like Dixie's Gamble is a horse I'm familiar with. Um, and like at the start of his career, he was well thought of, but he had notorious feet problems. If you go and look at some charts, he wore bar shoes for a lot of those races. And then last year when he came back and he's all of a sudden way better, well, they had the feet figured out. The bar shoes were off and he woke up. And we were all, you know, we were all licking our lips saying, this is the horse. He can beat Pink Lloyd. This is going to be the one. Well, we got proven wrong a few times there. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know if he's better as a five-year-old, but I definitely think that that race in the overskate is a bit of a crossout because he's not really a two-turn horse. And he's probably better on synthetic than turf anyways. And he really didn't run bad. So that's a nice way to, you know, it's a nice start off the layoff. It's a starting point. I don't know if he's going to run good enough to win this race, but like, I think if you're looking for horses to, you know, key underneath and, you know, tries and supers and stuff like that, you know, you could take your, take your pink Lloyd and silent poet on top and then key this horse second or third or whatever. Cause th this horse, he's a runner. He's an honest horse. I'm just, um, I'm not sure where his, what his status is like, if he's good enough to win this race, but he's, he's interesting. He's worth talking about. Yeah, I'll definitely in the verticals. This one I will be playing. I'll be playing Dixie's Gamble with Pink Lloyd and also with Silent Poet. I'll, I'll put him on top a little, put him underneath, like you said. And I'm going to hope that Ride a Comet is 5-2. to two. I don't think he will be, but I hope he's 5-2, to two, takes money and does nothing, so at least I can get a little bit of odds uh, elsewhere. Um, all right, you ready for race 10, I guess? Yeah. Best I'll Arabian. let you pronounce the name. <laughs> the Best Arabian. <laughs> who who yeah. is Best Arabian? Is that a, that's a horse, I guess? I'm not familiar. Yeah. Oh, am I putting you on the spot? <laughs> the locals are going to be disappointed with me because I'm not a history buff. And I know uh -huh. she was she was a mayor that ran here a long time ago. And yeah, I'm uh, well, my history. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not good at the history part of things. I only know what's happening now. What, right, what, no. what happened last year? Don't know. <laughs> um, but this is kind of like our premier mayor sprint race. It's always a fun one towards the end of the season. And, um, you know, we've got an interesting kind of ship, you know, a ship in here for Maker. I'm kind of surprised at the six to one morning line here on Jakarta because, you know, she got beat a length by God Stormy and God Stormy is one of those fan favorite horses. And people love to bet the U.S. shippers here, you know, because they think you're a million lengths better than us. Uh, 
So, you know, this horse is kind of, in, at six to one, I'm kind of intrigued. She's never run on the synthetic before, but um, I think that's going to be a horse that takes a lot of action. And Amalfi Coast is coming off such an easy win in the Sweetbriar too, that she's going to be, uh, they're going to, she's going to take a lot of play. I, I kind of like Super Escape. I'm hoping she gets back into form here. I, again, this is a morning line I have a lot of questions about. Because uh, I don't see how this one's three to one after she got beat like soundly by Amalfi Coast last time, but like her better races are good enough to hang with these, so I'm I'm kind of going for her. But it's a really murky race because I'm not in love with Amalfi Coast or Jakarta, and I think those are the two favorites come post time. Yeah, I, I agree with you on the odds there, and I've already heard some people talking about this race, and, and the people I've heard have mentioned Jakarta as an option there. Uh, there's actually a horse I like here. My only fear is the pace, but I said that doesn't usually play too big a role in, in my picking because the speed horse and with Jakarta in the race, I'm a little worried, but um, the four, Artie's Princess, I thought she ran a bang-up race last time in that uh, stakes race. Uh, I think it's called the Ruling Angel. I could be wrong, though. Um, yeah. Yeah, she, she dueled a, a long shot, 27 to one shot. He faded way back, basically, stopped running. Um, but she ran really well. Um, that, that long shot died really early. She put her away. I, I was just impressed. Maybe, you know, this is a, a tougher caliber. A couple of the horses are back, but, uh, I, I just like that race. She's a three-year-old, so there's no reason to think she's not improving. We, we joke around, uh, GQ and I, we talk about something called the buyer-er scale. Uh, my initials are ER, so I make my own buyers kind of. So she got a 90 buyer, but the way she did it, I was very impressed with. So to me, that was more of a 94, 93 uh, buyer and if she can progress even a little more I don't see why she shouldn't win this race so I'm I'm pretty heavily on Artie's princess the four and eight to one I am worried if she gets in some kind of duel with Jakarta because I don't know who else has any speed so she might go um, but that definitely worries me a little bit Amalfi Coast I bet Queen's Plate day this was one of the I told you I was crappy for like four races but um, I, I did well on the Queen's Plate only uh, but I liked her that day and I used her in that race I think I went too neat in that race and she just I don't know what maybe you know what happened in that uh, Canadian grade too um she came back to win but it was like a perfect trip perfect setup she won impressively but she had I thought a, a, a perfect setup with the speeds in front of her uh so I, I still like a multi coast but uh, I'm a little leery coming off the perfect trip but like I said could be good enough and the only horse you didn't mention that I'm intrigued by and I hope this is not more sentimental than using my head because I hate to bet with the heart but the eight outbursts this is a horse I've been following ever since she was running in Tampa earlier in her career. Um, and I had her down there in Tampa and I just was very impressed. And she just really hasn't stepped forward lately, but her last race is a lot better than it looks. Um, she got the 77 buyer at Keeneland, but that was a very fast pace. And I don't even look at times necessarily. I'm not that concerned. I'm more concerned how the races run. Uh, but that fast time on paper really was a, a fast-paced race, I thought. Um, and, and all the speed quit badly. She actually hung around a little bit. I know she lost five lengths, but it wasn't terrible. Uh, and, and on my buyer scale, that was more like an 85, 86, if not higher. So to me, she improved last race, even though it looks like she regressed. And that was her first uh, try against Great Estates Company. I, I just think she can take another step up. Whether she's good enough or not, if she was 4-1, to one, I wouldn't be talking about her or interested, but at 20-1 to one right and close, if she can take one more step forward, I, I don't see why Outburst can't do it. So my, my top three here are Artie's Princess, um, Outburst, and Amalfi Coast. This is a race I, 
I'm either going to single artist princess, I'm going to use those three, or I'm going real deep because there's really no one. I'd be shocked if the seven wins, but there's really no one here who I'm like has no shot. Yeah, well, like the one thing I'm going to tell you, if you like Artie's Princess, the horse that you, and I mean, it, I might be wrong because the odds might be completely goofed, but if you're going to take Artie's Princess at eight to one, you need to completely ignore her and go to Boardroom at 10 to one because the only reason Artie's Princess won the Ruling Angel was because Boardroom had a line snap the second the gate opened and she still managed to get around the track and she came back and won the Dutchess and like this horse is a monster. And I think if you're getting a better price on her than Artie's Princess, She's absolutely the one to take. Um, however, you're not wrong. You know, Artie's Princess is a legit speed filly. And if somehow Jakarta breaks slow and this one can get loose, you know, she wants to get out in front, go fast and keep going. And she might just be able to do that. Now, the thing that makes me leery about Boardroom and Artie's Princess and uh, Outburst, the one that you brought up, is... They've all been running against in straight three-year-olds. And this time of year, like early in the year, the straight three-year-old races are one thing, but this time of year, they should be getting ready to take on older mares. And instead they're running in these diluted straight three-year-old races where they're just really, they're phony black type or graded stakes for horses that have no business really getting, you know, black type and graded stakes earnings for, you know, this is a whole nother discussion, but they're kind of diluted stakes races in my opinion. Um, I'm not as familiar with the company that Outburst is run against, but, you know, just I've seen enough to know that I'm kind of suspect. Um, but, yeah, I think Boardroom it might be the sleeper in this race just because, you know, there's other – she was a big hype horse here, and now that she's taken on some other ones that, you know, were, that are kind of fan favorites, the hype might get quieted down. But she's very legit in my opinion. All right, this is where we finally disagree. I'm, I'm so happy we finally got a disagreement. I, I don't like Boardroom. I wouldn't talk anyone off her. At uh, two to one and uh, ten to one, and like I said, you know a lot more about these horses than I do. So if, if people are listening there and like, who should I listen to? I, I would defer to you, of course. I just thought last race set up for a closer so much so that she benefited from that greatly. And I just hate playing horses who come back from like perfect setups, in my opinion. So, um, but she's lightly raised; she could be improving. I, I I wouldn't be shocked. Like I said, there's no one again, maybe the seven hour secret agent, but uh, who I thought also benefited from that pace in the same race. Um, and, and that kind of shows how the pace helped boardroom. But um, I, I, those two I don't love. They would be my, my lowest two, but uh, I, I would not be shocked. Let's just say that. All right. You want to go on to race 11, wrap it up? Yeah. All right. This is yeah, more my speed of mating claimers, more my type. <laughs> <laughs> this is where things get difficult because this is just a, it's kind of, you know, it's the end of the year. Maidens cheat their winter money so you know it's a huge field and everything and i think there's a real sneaky horse in here um the number two horse looking fly if you watch some replays this horse has shown some signs of life you know there's there's some run here i don't know how much but there's something here and the horse has been privately purchased since that last race and i know from what i've seen and heard to the you know heard to the grapevine this horse is doing well I don't know if that's going to translate to the racetrack, but this horse is, seems to be moving in the right direction. And uh, we want to talk about underrated trainers and riders. Sandra Dominguez does, and Ishmael Mascara is infinitely better than two for 53. He's a, he's a legit rider. And if, if this horse has woken up since he's changed barns and had his routine uh, changed, 
he's really worth looking at. At a he'll, like he'll be bigger than twenty one, I think. Twenty to one, I should say. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like if we could talk about everybody, and I could say, well, the form doesn't look very good, but you know, I I, I can make a butt argument about almost every horse. <laughs> so who do you want to talk about? All right. Well, let's. Uh, I'll start with the horse that I. I'm thinking of singling, uh, but I, there's some prices I want to include. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go too deep in the pick five here. Um, unfortunately, a little chalky. I'm hoping I get in the morning line. I don't think I will. Uh, the three, Candy's Dream. Um, why don't you tell me some of your thoughts, if you have any, on, on Candy's Dream before I say anything. So this is an interesting filly, right? Because this is a filly taken on the boys, which I don't mind. Whatever. Her numbers are fast. Uh, this race was was carded on Sunday originally, but the races got canceled because we had extreme winds and she wasn't in here originally. She jumped in last minute because another race didn't go. And this is a filly that's kind of tormented me. I picked this filly to win on opening day when she finished second by three quarters of a length at 49 to one. So she's kind of haunted me because I'm like, why couldn't you get up? You would have made me look so hard. Um, but yeah, like on numbers, she fits and she looks good. But I've said that in like every race since that first race, you know, if she runs, if she runs her best race, she wins and she just never seems to do it. And she's on the descent and she's not going to be a great price. And it's like, I just don't see her moving in the right direction other than the fact that she's moving down to 10,000. That's always the right direction. The best hop is a drop, but I don't want to get suckered into this horse at four to one in a 14 horse field. I know she can win. Like I know she can run, but it just, it feels like such a sucker play. Yeah, well, I think I'm a sucker because I just, you know what it is? I know people see 0 for 13 and all, but she it's her first time at this level. And I assume, unless I made it for, uh, 40 last time, I know it's the Phillies, but like you said, I don't really care if the numbers they're running. Um, unless that was a really weak made in 40, this seems like a, a, a big drop. And I thought she ran well. I know you said maybe regressing a little bit, but she made a three-wide move. She had a wide trip. Um, she kind of attacked the pace that didn't like fall apart necessarily, but it was a decent pace, I thought. And um, I just thought she ran a decent race there. Uh, she got a 58 buyer to me with the wide trip and attacking the pace. I thought it was maybe like a 60 or 61. And I just don't see too many other horses in here that are that good. They can run that. Yeah, my problem with her isn't that she's not good enough because I know, I know damn well she's good enough. <laughs> the problem is I know she's good enough to win these maiden allowance races at the start of the year. And she's not getting the job done. And like, she just feels like the kind of horse you drop her in for 10 and she's going to run a big second, but not quite get the job done. And that's just going to drive me crazy if I pick <laughs> her on top. Uh, she's well, the kind of horse I'd rather not pick and let her win than pick and watch her run second and make me want to jump off the press box window. Um, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean here? Absolutely. <laughs> and I, I listen, I, I would agree with you, and I applaud you. If you have any doubts on a horse who's a short price, definitely don't use or put on top, definitely. So I agree with that. I, I'm just – maybe because I don't know her like you know her, uh, looking from an outsider's point of view, I, I'm impressed. I don't think she's necessarily fitting. To me, you know, she's running against so – it's like she's playing against LeBron James, and now she's going against a high school, uh, you know, high school team. So, you know, that drop I think will be enough. But we'll see. I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if she gets beat. Um, I'll mention one other horse because I know you said there's so many. I, actually, I want to talk about two others and then anything else you want to wrap up with. Um, I'm against the seven. Maybe we'll get into that as well. Uh, I don't know if she'll be the three-to-one favorite. In fact, I, he, I don't get that at all. Maybe we'll go right to that and I'll save the other two uh, for after. Do you see the seven being three-to-one? And if so, that's Kodoro. How and why? Tell me because I have no clue. 
Yeah, the only thing I can say for this horse taking money is you're, go, you're picking up Hernandez and that usually does draw some money. But like this horse, I don't think wants to run on the synthetic at all. You know, he's a turf horse and he's a turf horse that's had, that's had some good trips and hasn't been able to get the job done. You know, he's, he's just not that much horse, I don't think. And granted, none of these are. But yeah, I, I can't take, if this was on turf, it might be a different scenario. But on synthetic, I can't get behind this horse at all. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the 36 buyer, uh, 20 buyer, no excuses really. I mean, maybe at least the 20 was against better horses, but the, the, the 36 at this level. And that 57 buyer, maybe people see that, but I mean, he was last the whole way, basically. He was not even in the race. He had a 57 by default. I could have run in the race. I think he got a 57 buyer, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, you're not running the 57 because that's what you ran. You right. ran it relative to the, to the winner's time, right? It's, it's kind of a you know, you got to read between the lines there. And you're right. It, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. I just tossed that 57. I ignored it because she wasn't, oh, he wasn't in the race. All right. So the other two I want to mention, uh, my second choice, I guess, is number eight, big time gizmo, 15 to one. I, I'm not familiar at all with these connections. So maybe you can, you can help me out. I think you mentioned if I'm pronouncing Savaki right as kind of maybe an under the radar guy. So I was happy when you said that earlier, because I knew I, I liked the horse he was on. Or she, he, I think, right? It's a he, Savaki? Yeah. Okay, good. I sound uneducated, sorry. Um, the reason I like this horse is uh, the last race I thought was, uh, was pretty good. Two back got a 46 buyer, uh, which I thought was whatever, legit 46 buyer, that's 40,000. Last race dropped to, I guess it's this level. Um, it was going a mile 16th, I think they had seven furlongs, but showed speed, dueled uh, by a long shot. So dueled a, a 31 to one shot who faded badly. And then a five to two shot kind of picked it up. So he had a duel of two different horses and that five to two shot ended up finishing fourth. So put away, I mean, he finished fifth, but he had a duel of two shots. So I really thought that he did a lot of the dirty work, I guess. So in my buyer scale, that 44 was more like a 50 something. So he went, in my opinion, from like a 46 to like a 53 or something like that. And if any more progression, especially the price, I think big time gizmo is there. This race doesn't appear to have a lot of speed on paper, I don't think. Uh, I don't know cutting back if big time Gizmo can show that much speed, but any speed to be a little close tackling speed will definitely help. Do you have any thoughts on, uh, on the eight there? Yeah. My, my issue with big time Gizmo. So here's the thing. If he goes to the lead, he's probably not the only one. Somebody else is going to get wise and go to the lead. It's a 14 horse field. that doesn't look like there's that much pace. So somebody's going to decide, well, I'm going to do the pace. So if he does that, he might be screwed that way. As a closer though, he's just not that good. And like, I know he's been running at the uh, option of 40 and 25 and all this, but he, he's not running against anything special. Even that maiden 40, he ran in as a two-year-old where he's second. It was a terrible race. All those horses that he's running against perfect revenge, giant critic, they're 10, 15 claimers now. They're nothing. So it's, it's a very irrelevant race in his form. Uh, <laughs> I just don't know how much talent there is and how he's going to get a good setup here. I think he's just kind of a damned if he does, damned if he doesn't kind of horse. Um, but it's so tough to really say anything for sure about any of these. Like I've got a feel like a horse like Sea Scout. I don't know what to do here because the connections they're not going to take much money. So like I'd like to think this is a wise guy horse, but like even the one race for forty where he runs third, it's a terrible race. It's not a good forty. This horse is worth ten, if that. So do I really care about the? Am, am I going to get a good price? I don't know. I don't know if ten to one is a good price there. Um, 
this is a really tough race. Like final strike, eight to one morning line, first time gelding, very consistent speed figures. He's worth a look, but like, I, I don't, I don't know. This is so hard. I like, I like your honesty. That's great because so many people come on and just say they like horses and pick people, but um, it's good for people to know when you have a strong opinion, like they would feel past and when you don't. So I appreciate that. One horse I want to throw out there that um, a little bit of a crazy horse that I'm going to be betting. I just have decided it's worth throwing in a pick five because it's going to pretty much triple my ticket value. Although based on the fact that you didn't like my two horses, uh, maybe I should add another one. I'm sure you won't like this one though. The nine, Romeo's Law. So after you're done chuckling, I'll explain why I, uh, no. Nope. <laughs> all right, so the nine, the, the nine here. Um, first race out at, and you can tell me about the class level there. I don't understand it. Is it because he's a Canadian bred? He ran for 25, 23. It says 48, made natural claiming. Oh, okay. So, so the purse is 48,300. Okay. It's an optional 25. And there's a goofy condition where certain horses that have run bad at a higher level three times in a row can run protected. So it's, it's a 25, made in 25. That's what it okay, is. Okay. So this is a drop from that, basically, assuming that it was yeah. a decent for that level. Okay. So ran at a higher level the first race. Showed speed. First of all, I had a slow start. I've never seen a track. I think you guys got to get your starting gate uh, checked out. I've never seen so many horses get a slow start. It's unbelievable. Every race I'm watching replay, it's slow start, slow start, slow start. It's just, I, I don't know, maybe it's just a short sample size, but it's crazy that all these horses, this is a horse that had a slow start his first race, um, kind of rushed up to the pace. Yeah, the pace held for the most part, so it wasn't like it fell apart or anything, but I thought it ran decent considering the slow start, you know, was in the race. Unlike we mentioned, uh, Kaduro, who kind of just ran around the track in a circle and, and barely did it and gets a 57 buyer. This horse at least showed some life. I got a 43 buyer, and I thought with the slow start and rushing up was definitely better than that. And it's a horse I, I, I didn't bet the races last time, but I probably would have been interested in last time, and I would have lost, so it's a good thing I didn't. Um, the only thing I can say, and this is where I really want to talk to you about this uh, as well, he was 111 to one. Now, if you cross out the last race and he was coming off that first uh, race, I would think he'd be like 15 to one here and I would like him, maybe even less. Maybe I'm wrong. So the fact that he was 111 to one tells me it must have been a tough field for the level or am I just stupid by picking this horse at all? Well, I definitely agree. There's enough life in that first race that at 30 to one, I can get behind this horse way faster than I, get, than I can get behind big time Gizmo because double the morning line, these connections are going to take no money. And this barn is not that bad. It, it wasn't that long ago that Jen Schaefer had a horse called Boreal Spirit that she brought from Alberta. And he was a legit threat to Pink Lloyd for a while, like two years ago. Uh, he's 111 to 1 because you've got a connection that's over 19 and hasn't had one hit the board with a rider that's 6% in a 14-horse field. So that's kind of the kind of horse you look at it. You don't even handicap the race. You go, oh, this horse has no shot, right? You know, but... <laughs> The horse, you know, that's just because that's what people do. They're, they're, it's a 14 horse field. They're looking to cheap out in their multi races and they say, oh, screw this horse. I, he's not going to win. So they pitch him completely. Um, but yeah, there's enough in that first race. It wasn't that bad that you can make a case for him here. And, you know, maybe the blinkers on will help. The, the drop in for 10, that'll definitely help. You know, so 30 to 1, yeah, you, you, I think you've got some life here. Yeah. And just again, to recap the race here. Um, you know, for me, I'm mostly, I, I think the three is going to win. I know you had a little concern. I think the three is going to win. You are scaring me a little bit off of the three, not off, but, um, you're worrying me. So I'll have to, you know, sweat it out. Uh, I'm hopefully alive at this point. I might not be, 
uh, the eight big time gizmo. And I'm probably going to end up throwing in the nine in my pick fives. Uh, just because if there is a price horse, I hate to toss a, a price horse. Uh, and God forbid I'm alive and I didn't use a nine and, and he wins and it pays 10 grand or something like that. And I didn't have it because of that one horse. And, and I'm against the seven. I don't think the seven is going to be three to one as we discussed. I hope he is. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, but I'll be against that horse. But there's no other horse in this race that you can tell me, hey, I like this horse. And I'd be like, no way. Um, it is the one horse. Where's my halter? I didn't really give much look to the horse. I'm not going with first time starters. Are these either connections or do you know anything? Is there a reason to want to include that horse? I'm, I'm kind of like you. When they're debuting for 10000 there's a reason for it. And so if they beat me, they beat me. That's fine. But I'm just not interested. Now, granted, this one might be, you know, this one will be 15 to 1. So maybe he's worth a look. But, you know, it's tough for me to get excited about a three-year-old debuting in November for 10000 It's just tough to really get excited about. Yeah, and uh, before we wrap it up, any any other horses that you wanted to mention here? I know we went through a bunch of them. Um, well, again, these are horses that I mentioned just based on the morning line, which probably won't hold up. Eight to one, Red Astaire, the six is worth including. Um, eight to one, Final Strike, the 10 is worth including. Six to one, Animal Crap is the 12. He's got a shot. I don't really love him. Um, yeah, like, he's... This is this is such an odds board race. I think you've got the right idea of trying to find something at 20, 30 to 1 and take a shot. And yeah, I don't know. I should give a shout out to my dad's horse, but he's not very good. Oh, I didn't even notice. Where, uh, oh, the, the 11. Yeah. Sorry about that. You know what? Yeah. Looking, and I probably looked at this before I knew you were on the show, so I didn't even think twice about it at the time. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't include the horse, but I will definitely be rooting for, for the horse. Another Breeze, the 11 horse. And it's, he's got he the only, like, yeah, he, he ran a good race in December last year and has run nothing close to it since. And uh, yeah, may, maybe the blinkers will help him. I don't know. <laughs> Your dad doesn't have much numbers of adding blinkers. Does he not use them at all? Or I see it's like 0 for 1. So only one starter with blinkers added. He's got a lot of older horses that kind of run how they run. So why change the equipment? You know? Right. No, it makes sense. Definitely. Definitely. I just surprised when I saw that, but that makes a lot of sense. All right. So um, at the end, I'm going to wrap it up and, and go over uh, my ticket. I, I, I asked you before, I, I didn't really get an answer. Did you have time to craft any kind of pick five ticket that you think you're playing? And no worries if you didn't, but uh, I figured I'd give you a shot if you, if you wanted. Okay. L let's whip one together real quick and you can figure out how much it's going to cost. All right. <laughs> That's my math skills. In the first leg, race seven, we'll use the one betwixting the four gelato amore and the seven big mistake. I guess we'll try and beat, take it easy. So yeah, three deep there. Uh, the Ontario Derby, we're gonna single field past the one. Uh, Kennedy Road, I guess I got a single to four, Silent Poet and try and beat the Lloydster. Uh, Best Arabian, we'll use the one super escape, the two boardroom, the, five Amalfi Coast, and the six Jakarta, so that's four deep. And uh, 11th race, I'll say two look and fly. Uh, I'm gonna try and beat Candy's Dream, so we're not gonna use her. Uh, six Red Astaire. I'm gonna use the nine Romeo's Law, just because we talked about them. Uh, 10 Final Strike, and uh, 13 Sea Scout, so that's five. 
that's a very cheap ticket, especially uh, with these 20 cent increments that people bet that. That's three by one by one by four, so that's 12. And then you're using uh, five in the last, so that's 12, that's around 60 divided by five is, is $12 ticket for 20 cents. So that's a really, uh, really cheap ticket. And I like, you know, we, we, I try and only have people on who really know what they're doing. Not that I'm so great or anything, but like inside the pylons, Tommy Masses, guys who not only know handicapping, but know how to bet. I hate a lot of guys on TV. They, they're like, oh, uh, you know, I'm going to use these four horses. And it's like two to one, two to one, three to one, seven to two. So I really wow. appreciate it and respect the way you craft a ticket like that. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you appreciate it. I hate, I regret to inform you. I don't cash very many of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what? This is something that I, I spoke about um, in the intro to the show. And, and we talked a lot with Inside the Pylons last week. So many people are obsessed with win percentage. And I understand why you're with friends or especially for you puts out picks. I'm sure there's like, not necessarily pressure from the outside, but internally maybe feel some pressure to kind of get some winners where it's really about ROI. I'd rather go one for 50 on pick fives, but make a profit than hit 10 out of 50 and lose money. Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, money talks. You know, I see these touts on the internet that go on, oh, my top pick won this, who cares? Show me how you made some money on it. I don't care who you picked. You know, it's why I don't go on Twitter bragging about my picks because it doesn't matter. If I didn't make any money on it, who cares? Exactly, yeah. I go to Saratoga a lot, unfortunately, this year. I couldn't. And I don't know if you've ever been, but when you walk in uh, to the, I guess it's like the back entrance, the Nelson Avenue entrance for people who know, there's like three or four older guys there selling their picks and, they're all, I had nine exactors yesterday, you know, six triples and all that. And I really, I don't want to disrespect the people. I'm not like a nasty person generally, but I feel like going up to these people. I've seen you here for 20 years, standing here in 90 degree heat, selling your picks. If you yeah. want this much, shouldn't you just be betting the horses and not have to worry about selling for a dollar your picks? Yeah, exactly. Why, if you got so many great opinions, why are you giving them to everybody? You know? <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Well, I, do, I do my job because I'm not smart enough to make any money betting my pants. You know? <laughs> At least you're honest about it. But I have a feeling you, you can do better than, uh, than you selling yourself, meaning self-deprecating there. But um, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it was kind of a last-minute thing. Uh, GQ, my partner, had a uh, work event that he couldn't get out of. So uh, I was looking around. I reached out to Tommy Massis for some advice because when I think of Woodbine, I think of him. And he had such high praise for you and, and said what an astute guy you were and knowledgeable and, and well-spoken. And you did a great job today, I think. I hope uh, our listeners learned something. I'm sure they did. I definitely did. A few things about Woodbine specifically. So, Doug, thanks for coming on so much. And I uh, look forward to maybe meeting you and talking to you in the future. Yeah, anytime you want to talk Woodbine, let me know. And Gulfstream over the winter because that's what I'll be watching. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was actually going to ask you, do you go down to Florida? Because I would seen or read that you did. Yeah, the last few years I've gone down to Walk Hots for uh, Stu Simon at Palm Meadows, and um, you know just to keep myself uh, occupied for the winter because I'm laid off here. So this year with the pandemic, I'm not going anywhere near the state of Florida. But in a, in a normal year, that's what I do. I go down there, I hang out, work with some horses, and go to Gulfstream. All right, sounds good, and we'll uh, we'll definitely keep you in mind, and uh, I'd love to have you back sometime December, January in the winter the Gulfstream Championship meet. That would be great. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Have a great one. Thanks for having me. Okay, you too. Take care. Have a good night. Bye. Okay, and a special thanks once again to Doug McPherson. Really appreciate the fact that he stepped in last minute. I literally spoke to him about 24 hours ago uh, about doing the show, and you can see he really prepared uh, very well for it, and he really is a wealth of knowledge, uh, knowing the horses there at Woodbine so well. 
I definitely picked up a few things from him, and I, I think you guys at home did too, or I hope you did at least. So check out his Handicapper's Journal on the Woodbine website. Wealth of information as the Woodbine meet comes to a close. Next week, we're planning on uh, finishing up Gulfstream Park West Strong. Last ever day is Saturday, I believe, November 28th. So GQ and I will be back next week to talk about that card. Due to Thanksgiving, we're debating when to record, but I think we're going to have to do it on Friday, so not as much turnaround for people to listen. But I'm pretty sure you'll check for us on Friday. But if you're not following us on Twitter, please do that. I'm at BanditsBB. That's BanditsBB. And my partner, Gary Quill, is at HorseRacingNut. That's at HorseRacingNut. And if you check us out, we'll have updates on when the show is coming out. If the PPs come out early enough, we might be able to get it done Wednesday, uh, and that would be ideal. But most likely Friday recording, talking about Gulfstream Park West. I'm sure they'll have a mandatory payout and all their uh, bets there. So that should be something to look forward to. Everyone enjoy your Thanksgiving next week. And we look forward to talking to you just after that. Have a great day and good luck at the races this weekend.